Señores y señoras, nosotros tenemos más influencia con sus hijos que tú tienes. Pero los queremos. Creado y regado de los ángeles. Juana's Adicción. Welcome to Fires on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. I am ready for all this to stop. All this madness to come to an end. Stop, people. Like, just, it's better if you don't think about it, and if it happens, it happens, but it's, like, it makes no sense. Every single person of importance has said, it makes no sense. Now, Preller is Preller. He does stuff that makes no sense. And Sometimes. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Uh, but just stop and let's move forward. <laughs> I'm just ready for something to happen for it to be over. I saw somebody say that they're just going to mo- uh, mute the word Mookie. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Just tell me when it's over, whether he goes to the Padres or the Dodgers or to Timbuktu, whatever. Just let me know when the chips fall and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. So um, how was the Super Bowl? Um, well, I missed most of it. <laughs> uh, so football is pretty much dead to me, but the Super Bowl is kind of a big deal. So we wanted to watch it. I thought that it started at like five. So we went to Costco and had the best Costco trip ever because there was nobody there. And we come home, flip on the game at like five, five after whatever. It's the fourth quarter. And so I guess time. we missed the we missed a bunch of commercials and the halftime show. But whatever, we'll see the best part of the game. And I guess we did see the best part of the game. You know, we're going to have Jonathan Mayo on later um, from MLB Pipeline and texting with him before. Like, hey, we're going to talk about this, talk about that. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. And he texted back. is like, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I'm like, yeah, hey, we can talk about that, too. We uh, we started our day at UCSD. Uh, their baseball team started, D2 started baseball this weekend. Uh, we watched them. Hey, you said you uh, spoke to an Orioles scout. Yeah, so I'm sitting in the side uh, taking pictures because I'm just learning how to use a camera. And there was a guy with the Edutronic. And I thought he was working for UCSD. I'm like, damn, I guess it's a D1 program. It's coming up to be a D1 program. Wait, like, was he outside? Yeah, the- he was, he was uh, down the first baseline, past the, dugout, past the dugout. With an Edutronic? With an Edutronic. And huh. he was there for one guy. For, for a pitcher, he was there. Nope, he was there for one batter, for one for one hitter on the, at, at UCSD. And so he's trying to capture high frame rate video from outside the field of play. Yeah, huh? I'm and, used to seeing Edgertronic use like close up when you're watching a pitcher's release point. You want to see the spin off the ball or whatever. He had this long telephoto lens, and I'm sure there's different lenses for it, but there's a long telephoto lens, and he showed me like, check this out. I'm like, yeah. And sure enough, I mean, it was perfectly framed. The hitter, like every, you know, it's like a thousand, thousand frames per second or whatever. Yeah. And you can just see every nuance of an at-bat like you do on on Twitter, for, wow. the, for lack of that. Um, but it was cool to hang out with him for a few minutes to talk to him. Um, yeah, so with that, I guess, so if you see somebody with your eyes... You may look at their mechanics and have one evaluation, but if you have the sense that maybe there's some untapped power here or there's something that's not working right, that'd be an easy fix. So that could be somebody that you sign for cheap and then, hey, do this, and then you turn a 35 future value player into a 45 just overnight. Absolutely. There's a ton of value there. Absolutely. And it's all about information. It's all about having that on hand. 
And, you know, at UCSD, it's a D2 school, but we usually get one or two guys to get drafted. Most of the time, they're pitchers. Um, a lot of undrafted guys come out of UCSD, and they do well. Was Chris Lincoln from UCSD? Uh, I, think, I think the Padres signed somebody. They drafted somebody from UCSD this year, didn't they? I, I don't remember. Okay, anyway. Uh, so, that was kind of cool. And then that guy ended up later on hitting a hit a bomb in the gap. It, it, it almost hit the fence in left center. So, I'm like, yeah, he got some good footage. But that was kind of cool. And then we went and did some shopping. Chris Lincoln went to Santa Barbara. Sorry. Okay. So tra-la-la, we went shopping, came home right about you know time the game started, and we're just putting stuff away. And that's when I tweeted out, "This is how important this game is to me." Like some old crackers and some stale cheese. <laughs> like the the, the the what this game means to me is just about what you see here, which was nothing. And because I'm not a football guy, and uh, anything else, and I'm probably going to make no fans out of this. Is it's only an activity. I think really baseball is the only sport. Uh, everything else is just an activity. Not saying that people aren't athletes. Soccer players are athletes. It's an activity. Um, but moving on. I, I think that people can, can throw the same, <laughs> the same terminology. If you were talking to a diehard soccer fan, football fan, right. they can throw the same kind of logic back at baseball. It's, it's, I, I respect your opinion. Yep. That, that's a hard position to defend. Uh, before we get off the topic, though, I wanted to point out, so Angela, my wife, went to Mira Mesa High School, and so she was really proud of Damian Williams, who is also a Mira Mesa graduate, had two touchdowns, should have been the Super Bowl MVP, had an amazing game. So kudos to him, and all of the Mira Mesa alumni should be proud that one of theirs had a big day. In San Diego in general, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. The number of really good running backs that have come out of San Diego and had amazing Super Bowl performances. So moving on, there's not a lot to talk about. That's why we're kind of riffing here. But um, Tex Padre texted, or tweeted, uh, tweeted something, excuse me, that I thought was really interesting. Uh-huh. The, uh, you know, there's all this talk about Mookie Betts, but the question was, when do you think Mackenzie Gore comes up to the big leagues so i have my own theory about this go ahead so i believe that he's not going to break the camp with the team he's not on the 40-man roster so there's no reason for them to add him right away uh but at some point garrett richards is going to need a break so my guess is that at some point in the middle of may um Mackenzie Gore is going to have a handful of starts under his belt. He's going to be just killing it at double A. Garrett Richards, he's going to have some shoulder soreness. He's going to have a calf sprain, something unclear like that, where he just needs to take a couple weeks off, and they call Mackenzie up, and then we see what happens from there. Okay, but what if someone else goes down? Like My, my thinking on that was, at least one of the ways I was thinking of it, is like it's the first injury. Yeah. But, but if it's like maybe three weeks into the season and someone needs uh, to go on the DL – or the IL, excuse me. They're not going to bring him up after like maybe three starts. They'll they'll have someone else because there's a our our rotation could be very deep. You know, well, Ronald Bolaños and Cal Quantrill might not make the opening day rotation. They right. might be in Double A, Triple A. So maybe they'd be the first guy to get called up. And so, if Cal Quantrill makes the bullpen, okay. Well, then you pull him out of the bullpen for a spot start and bring up a reliever. I. And there's there's a ton of ways you can go. There's that's, absolutely that's ton one of the ways. nice things about the bullpen depth. You're looking at the guys at the top at Stammen and and Pomeranz and and those guys, and obviously Yates. But there's so much depth behind it. There's yeah. like a dozen guys, and you've only got eight people in your bullpen. So there's going to be a, a handful of people that'll be ready to go. Yeah. 
So I think McKenzie's going to be about six weeks into the season is when he's going to get the call. That that sounds about right to me because you then he'll get his feet underneath him totally in double A. Um, they'll be able to establish how if he's doing well, how you know he's going to be doing well. We he. He's going to kill it. So does he sign a lease on an apartment in Amarillo, or does he just stay in the hotel? He just stays in the hotel. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Um, But like I said, if it's like three starts into the season, someone goes down, they're going to bring up Bolanos. They'll they'll bring someone else up. You know, in the bullpen, sorry, in the rotation, you got Paddock, you got Richards, you got Davies, uh, you have Lamette and Lucchese. And then A.J. Preller said in the winter meetings that Adrian Morhone and Michelle Baez will be coming in as starters. Now, those are probably the two guys that are really on the bubble, are making the rotation. So they may one get stashed in the bullpen. The other one may get sent down to AAA. Now, the next question is, does McKenzie Gore start in AAA or does he go in AA after a, you know killing it in spring? Oh, I don't think he spends a day in AAA. I think he's going to be in double A till they call him up. And then it wouldn't be after, you know, maybe after a while, if he has to go back down for some reason, maybe he goes to triple A at that point. Okay. Now hear me out. Now this is just playing devil's advocate. Uh huh. I agree. I, I totally agree. I don't think he's going to be, he ain't going to see a minute. He ain't going to see one second on the mound on the moon. But what if, you know, what if he did have a great spring and they start him in triple A just to maybe, he hasn't had any adversity. He has not, he's had one bad outing. In, in double A, two, if you want to, yeah, maybe two. Um, but he's had no adversity. He, he's had no challenges so far. Um, with the atmosphere and the ball in triple A, wouldn't you think it might be wise of the Padres? Because the kid's got confidence. I mean, it's not a confidence, it's not a makeup thing with McKenzie. It's about learning something. And you send him to triple A, you know, he gets rocked a little bit because the ball is just flying out of everywhere. Do you I, see the I, value in that? Is there value there? I'd, I'd rather bring him up and and test him by fire at the okay. major league level. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess that comes down to his makeup. You know, is he going to come, if you bring him up and he comes up here and he faces the Nationals lineup and they go bananas on him like they did on Craig Stammen on that one poor unfortunate day, is it going to wreck him or is he going to get, you know, is he going to use that as motivation to get better? And the McKenzie that we've talked to, he's going to use that to get better. Whether be whether that happens between then and his next start, or if he needs to go back, you know, take his notebook back to Amarillo and spend a month trying to figure out some stuff. I I I don't see the need to take him to a place where anything in the air goes out. So is he? I don't know the stats on him all that well. Is he a particularly ground ball, fly ball prone pitcher? I feel like he lives up in the zone more than anything. He's a strikeout guy. Right. No one hits him. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I, I don't see him as the type to work, you know, low, low, low in the zone, right. try to induce weak contact. He's going to go at it up high. So I guess that's where if you have somebody that's a high fastball hitter, they can touch one and get it out in El Paso. But I, I guess I don't see the point of that. I Bring him up and see how he does. I, yeah. To me, he's kind of like, who was it, Walker Bueller that came up a couple years ago for the, the Dodgers in the middle yeah. of the season? I guess he's a stud. Yeah, well, he's like that. So he's going to come up, and he's just going to keep on cruising the way that he has been. And if he has to make any adjustments, he'll make them. I, don't, I, I, I have the, the highest of expectations for him. 
and he has the highest ceiling, and he has the highest potential to reach those. I mean, if he comes up and just nails it, we'll be like, yeah, well, that's what he—that's what we know. That's what we expect of him. That's what he expects of himself. Yeah. So then, if you send him to AAA and he has a handful of starts and he's killing it down there, it's like, why'd you waste that? Right. <laughs> right. I, I that's very true. You know, but talking to the scout yesterday, and you know, my mindset, and he kind of he kind of um, reiterated what I was saying is like, AAA is now becoming where you just stash guys. Double A is where you prove your ground, you prove how well you are, how how good you are, and you can do a major league level. I know it's double A, but it's just better, better players there. And I'm not saying that four A players and stashed, you know, uh, guys in the forty man and triple A aren't as good, but it's just it, it's it's a better competition, more consistent with the competition, and I think that's the case. Now for hitters, I I don't know if that applies quite the same. Because the pitching that you see at AAA, the, the guys at AA, a lot of them are still trying to figure out how to sequence, how to tunnel, how to get command of a, of a second off-speed pitch. Where when they're at AAA, you've got guys that have experience, major league experience, that know how to do all these things. Maybe they're not quite as sharp. You, you run into guys like Brian Mitchell that have the filthy stuff but don't know what to do with it. Right. But you you see that level of 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 pitching, and so for a hitter, I think that applies. And then also on the defense side, you've got your veteran second baseman that's been a utility player that's got five years of major league experience trying to get back up. So you pair a shortstop up with him, and he can show the ropes. Versus in Double A, you've got a couple of twenty two year olds kind of figuring it out together. It doesn't. It's not quite the same there's there's something for a position player i feel like there's a lot more for that level of, of experience that they have to share um to bring each other up where for <clears throat> pitchers it's like if it plays it plays yeah if, if they've yeah. got the pitches if they've got the stuff the command they know how to use it then they can get anybody out yeah and it, it, like you said it, it does play um interesting stuff i just thought maybe we would bring that up and, and see where we were with that you guys can form your own opinions i and you know you just got to throw in the wild card because preller is such a god loving he's he's wild so what about patino you're wearing your fuego de colombia shirt today yes i gotta represent because we're talking to jonathan mayo do you think he comes up anytime before mid-season i wouldn't you know really it depends on how well the team is doing and, and I think if we're if we're tanking, if it's just I mean, another one of the Padres seasons that we have, now I don't think we're going to do that. But if, if it's you know a couple guys go down and we're not doing that well and we're struggling, you bring them up. You, yeah, I, I you suppose. Bring them up, you also don't bring them up to saying, oh, we're throwing in the towel, but we're bringing them up. See if we can't start a spark. See if we can't have that energy that he brings. See if he can't you know bring that those weapons you know and and the pitching. Uh, to maybe light a spark because we know we got tattoos. We you know we have Gore's the quiet guy. He's very, he's a silent assassin. I love, I think Jim Callis called him the silent assassin. Um, but you bring in this excited guy that's just happy as hell to be there. Uh, was not even was supposed to be there, uh, and is performing at that level. I think that could really add a spark to maybe a, a floundering team. Uh, and we know as Padre fans that that is highly possible. And, and yeah, it's I, doubtful I, with, with the players that we have said, and I understand that, but I just, I'm so PTSD'd with the Padres. That's Padres' traumatic stress. Yeah, you're already preparing your mind for the Padres right. being below 500 at the break and, and all of this. I Yeah, I don't see uh, it happening. It's got really to go, really stop. It, I, mean, I think it will stop this year, but... Um, stop, think, now go. Like James Addiction says. <laughs> um, 
I do think he won't. He'll be better than a September call up. I think he may be the second or third guy called up during because you need more than five pitchers. You know, it's on average what twelve. I think you need for a full year. Yeah, I think he could be the second or even third guy, depending on how well he's doing. If he's in Double A, crushing it, um, he's the second guy you call up after Matt. Yeah, but just last year, wasn't Pete Samora using the baby cobra um, yeah. analogy on him yeah. that he's got all this venom, and he just doesn't know what to do with it. So I I feel like Patino still has a lot to learn as far as harnessing his control and and maintaining his his emotional focus throughout a game yeah. and throughout it from one start to another. Yeah. Um. What happens if if you get roughed up in the first inning and, and adjust? He showed he was able to do that at the single A level. Now he needs to show he can do it at the double A level. It, I I don't think he's wired quite the same way that that Gore is because Gore kind of has the same kind of pat what Paddock had that there's just this workmanship thing, and obviously Patino takes his job very very seriously. Oh, absolutely, and he's going to be good. I think he's just maturity developmentally. Yeah. He's a little bit behind that because he's only been pitching for a few years. Right, he didn't come up. I mean. Mackenzie Gore was doing camps and and all of these different kinds of getting National instruction and, stuff, and yeah. all of that, where there's a formalized like this is how you do things and and getting a lot of instruction. I don't know if Patino was getting any of that before he came stateside. Right, and and with with that excitement, with that fun loving attitude, you do have that emotional like if he does, and I think Pete even said it, it's like. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, you just it happens. Like you, sometimes you don't do well. You don't try harder. You focus. You refocus and work with what you got. And that's really good. That's very good point with the emotional maturity. Not he's not gonna be a, a, a head case, but he could let those emotions kind of fly a little bit off the handle, and he less he could lose focus. Um, the there, stuff there's also there. the multiple pitches too. Uh, that's one thing that they even say about Gore that he needs to be able to get. All of his pitches working at the same time. Yeah, um, and I remember Logan Allen talking at one of the social summits. Somebody asked, you know, so how do you do? You, you had an outing and you're struggling with one thing. You did another, and it's well, you figure out what you have and you just go with what you've got. So Patino, he's got fastball, he's got changeup, he's got. I, I I always get him backwards. I think slider. he has the slider. Gore has the curveball. Curve. Yeah. But if you go out there and something's not working, do you know how to use what you have and still be able to perform? That's like one of the final tests to see if somebody's really ready. Right. You can't just go up there and throw 98 because they will hit it. Yeah. And if they know that you don't have your slider today, so expect to see a bunch of change-ups, yeah. then they can sit fastball and adjust. And then if they know which way they need to adjust, it's a little easier <laughs> if it's only going to wrinkle one way. No, I'm saying this is a dummy that can't stand up there and hit an 80 mile an hour fastball. It's a whole different don't, thing. Don't, don't, don't say this stuff so short. You can't hit 60 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. Oh, 65. Whatever they throw in our league. God, it's, I mean, it's so straight. Um, and that. I, but going back to the you know, going back to the rotation, I really want to see Adrian Morahone have a good spring, and and Bias have a good spring, and then put them in double a oh yeah you, you know and get back to being the starter yes yes um i know you talked about Baez being a, a bullpen guy which makes more sense because of the height and just i would hate to see like coming out of the bullpen jaws from you know james bond looking guy right um well with him it's it's more that he's got he only has the two pitches really yeah. his fastball change up and he hasn't shown that he can repeat the delivery 
through 80, 90, 100 pitches, which for a six foot eight guy, it's hard to do. He was able to do it at Fort Wayne and then he started having back problems and whatever. Like Elsinore struggled. Amarillo, they kind of turned him into a reliever and that may be a very successful role for him. But Morihon, I mean, you got four plus pitches. You should be able to command them all. Yeah. You understand how to break pit, break hitters down. That guy's got to be a starting pitcher. On top of staying healthy, like just well, that's stay, what that's where it starts. Just stay healthy, kid. Yeah. I mean, last year when they cut him back to whatever facing what ten, twelve batters and outing, that's it. Yeah. Like that really handcuffs a guy. But if that's what they were trying to do to get him through the year, I. I'm I'm hoping that they did something this off season to get his conditioning back on track. Kind of like what I mean, Ryan Weathers told us he already lost 20 pounds. Yeah, and he understands that that's a big part of what he needs to do to be successful. Well, and and with and with the shoulder impingement, it seems to be never an elbow. You know, it's the shoulder. It's so, soft tissue. So maybe it's moving the arm slot. I don't and know. Then maybe changing the arm slot, and then you have to rework all those pitches. You got to learn how to throw them differently. Um, Something to keep him on the on the mound. I would I mean bio, that's a biomechanical thing. You'd think that they would identify that really early, right? Right. I don't know. It's he's a baffling case for me. Well, and the baffling case also what Ryan said uh, during his interview. Like, dude, you can't make the club from the tub. Can't make the club from the tub. <laughs> you got to stay on the field, and sometimes you got to pitch with a little bit of pain or a little bit of soreness. Um, and every major league pitcher is going to say that it's you have your regular soreness, then you have your like there's something wrong, soreness or pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everybody knows their body. But I have a feeling everybody kind of has a different scale. Yeah, as far as that's concerned, some people might feel want some little thing and say something about it, or somebody else feels something even worse and just kind of keeps it to themselves until it becomes a big deal. Yeah. And then somebody might only report it in one book and not report it in the other book, and then they get traded, and then they find out, and then that's then AJ probably gets suspended. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I man. went off the rail there. Speaking of suspended, they just announced the just before I got here that they announced um, the new GM for the Houston Astros. Oh, did they? Yeah. Who's that going to be? Click. I can't remember the first name. Click. He came from the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. He was the executive vice president of baseball operations for the Rays. Okay. Which. Anything coming out of the Rays organization's got to be freaking stellar. You would think so. Yeah. Now, 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 now I've got to look now, this up. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, James Click. Yeah, James Click. I can't say I've heard that name before. Neither, no. But I'm glad that they're pulling guys in from outside the organization. They got Dusty Baker to be the manager, and now this guy from the Rays to be. That's better than hiring and promoting from within because then you think, okay, if there was this culture going on there. Yeah. And they need to do something to change it, and you're promoting from within. How's that really going to change anything? Yeah, the big word on him was Joe Espada. I think it was the bench coach. They're like, yeah, he's a candidate. Yeah, he's a candidate to be interviewed, but probably not to get the job. Yeah, which is he was a candidate for a half dozen managerial yeah. openings this year. They were talking about him connected to the Padres at one point. Yeah, so they got to have him out there. Um, I, I like Dusty Baker. I'm sure tons of tons of people that don't. He's old school. It's honest. I better think you know if I watched his. Um, his press conference, and he talked about having a little bit of both. And that's what I think teams that do both work with the analytics, work with the uh, technology, with the old school. I've been here a long time. I know I know the feel. I know when to go, trust my gut. I know when to not. Um, there's that molding of experience and technology that I think when teams get it right, you know, they, they go to the World Series and they don't need to bang on trash cans or anything like that. Hopefully. Well, when he was with Washington – 
I, I didn't, it didn't seem like he was wearing pitchers out, like his reputation when he was with the Reds and the Cubs, that he'd just throw these rookies out there for 140 pitches till their arm fell off. He yeah. wasn't doing that, so I think that reputation's kind of behind him. And, and the Nationals, I, I had the impression at the time that they were working with analytics, so hopefully he's got some familiarity with it. Is the Astros have the whole infrastructure supporting it. So they'll have people to present the information, to deliver it down to the clubhouse, and then communicate it to him. It's up to him to to execute that information, I guess. Yeah. Him, him and the bench coach. Yeah, who uh, we don't know who that is. But we're stoked for uh, Dusty Baker, you guys. Uh, coming up right now, we're going to have Jonathan Mayo from MLB Pipeline. We're going to talk about the uh, top 100, uh, the Padres prospects on the top 100. But first, tell us about your friend Travis Ehlers. Hey, to talk about my friend Travis Ehlers. Uh, we're actually, I'm going to go meet him this week, and we're going to do a little five-minute segment, so we'll get a little more deep information for you guys. But he's a uh, sports chiropractic, certified sports chiropractic physician, 14 years in the business. He specializes in sports injuries and prevention. He works with high school, college, several local professional athletes. Like, you go to his, his uh, office there, or his, his room, and you see pictures of D1 stars, uh, current minor leaguers, and Olympic athletes. Give him a call. Oh, my God. I don't have his phone. <laughs> Give him a call or look him up. Dr. Travis Ehlers. That's D-R-T-R-V-T-R-A-V-I-S-E-H-L-E-R-S. He's in the phone book. He's in Google. I don't have the number in front of me. I just <laughs> I just did that. Um, he will fix you up. He fixed me up for sure and kept me, kept me working and uh, kept me on the field. And I'm sure he can do that for you guys. And now we'll be back with Jonathan Mayo of Major League Baseball. We're joined here with Jonathan Mayo from MLB Pipeline. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing good. So you just came out with the top 100 prospects, and true. four Padres made the top 50. We've got Mackenzie Gore at number five, C.J. Abrams at number 25, Luis Patino number 27, uh, Luis Camposano number 50, and Taylor Tomel was just outside at number 57. So the first thing that jumped out to me is you've got C.J. Abrams all the way up there ahead of Luis Patino, and it seems like most of the other listings have Patino at number two. Usually... MLB pipeline is high on the guys that have performed in the high minors. Uh, Abrams hasn't even really sniffed above low single A. So what is it that makes everybody so excited about CJ Abrams right now? Well, we just decided to keep everyone on their toes, I think is what it is. No. Uh, listen, I think <laughs> that there's a couple of things, you know, it, it's interesting because in, we were higher on, on last year's draft guys, I think more than we have in the past. If you look at like Adley Rushman all the way up at number four on the top 100 from the Orioles, the number one overall pick, we haven't gone that high with the draftee since probably the Strasburg and Harper days, you know, but um, I think the, the, the fact that, and yeah, it's a small sample size and you try not to put too much weight into a first summer pro ball, but given the fact that everyone loves Abrams, raw tools you know especially the speed but well you know high school kid maybe he's gonna be raw is he gonna hit and then he comes out and hits and shows an advanced approach i think that made us feel a little bit more comfortable um running him up a little higher add in the fact that he plays a premium position and has a very good chance to stay there and if say shortstop doesn't work out he can go run around and get the ball in center field then uh, I, I think that's that's probably why and listen we love 
Luis Patino. I mean, that you know, I absolutely love him. And when you're talking about the difference where the two of them were, it's really splitting very fine hairs. Yeah. So, real quick question: We talked before we were texting. Uh, you didn't watch Super Bowl. Are the what? You... I'm not even familiar with that. Exactly. So, I, I think like we barely even watched it. Roy didn't watch it. We're we're. I'm a strictly baseball guy. Um, are you strictly a baseball guy? Do you follow any other sports, or did you not watch the Super Bowl because you were too busy? I'm a huge um, curling fan. Uh, um, no, I just, I'm like, what's the most obscure thing I can think of? I just, I, by the way, I just pissed off every Canadian. Right. I, um, I find curling to be fascinating. It, Canadians it, well, are it selling it market is fascinating. too. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, no, I mean, I used to listen. I, I, I used to watch all the sports. Uh, you know, some of it is occupational hazard. I don't really have that much time. Um, you know, I live in Pittsburgh, where football is is like a religion. Uh, and you know, since I moved here, I've been here now 18 years, uh, we used to get together and, and watch the Steelers every Sunday. And then, I mean, frankly, I just kind of got disgusted, uh, with the NFL in a number of ways, uh, for, a, for a number of reasons and have found over the last, I think two years, it's been, uh, I get a lot more done on Sundays, you know, it's just, uh, it's nice to have the day free and uh, I don't feel conflicted with my conscience by watching guys kill each other. Um, and that was one of the big reasons. And every once in a while, I find myself watching something. I have an 18 year old son. He still likes to watch. And, um, and I've kind of like very loosely gotten back into, into basketball because of him. I used to be a huge, I grew up in the Northeast. And I used to be a huge diehard Knicks fan and then just kind of gave up and there's no team here. So I, I didn't, so I'll, I'll sit and watch a game, but it, it, it's pretty much baseball for me. You know what you, what you mentioned there, a few, when the, when San Diego lost Junior Seau, that really brought a lot of stuff home for me about what these guys go through and the punishment that their body takes and the quality of their life going forward. And that soured me a lot on football, even before the Chargers were talking about leaving San Diego. So anyway, uh, how did you get interested in following the prospect side of baseball versus the major league side? Was that just a career path thing or was that something you've always been interested in? It's kind of a, a, both in, in, in a lot of ways. I, um, I've always liked telling stories of, of guys that people didn't, didn't know about. Uh, you know, when I first started MLB.com, believe it or not, coming up on 21 years ago, um, uh, yeah, I was the first staff writer ever hired, <laughs> full-time staff writer for, for the website. Um, my, my running joke is that Al Gore and I invented the Internet. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, but, you know, I was doing major league stuff mostly then. And, but I would do a good amount of uh, stories on prospects, you know, started covering the fall league early on, you know, before I got to major league to, to MLB.com, I didn't really know what the Arizona fall league was or anything like that. But, um, and we covered the draft. The draft was a huge thing and that's kind of started then. And then I guess it was about in 2003, uh, I started just, focusing on on prospects full-time uh we had a need you know we had grown a lot we had a lot of other national writers covering major league stuff and uh and we didn't really have anyone dedicated to doing prospects so i kind of shifted over and i've been doing it since and uh, you know i'm still employed so I, yeah. I guess i guess it's gone okay for me so you said the northeast you were very vague and uh so were you someone from boston that liked new york no. teams or no 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 i grew up in northern new jersey Ah, okay. My wife's in Franklin Lakes right now for work. All right. So, um, did you grow up yeah. a Mets fan then? 
Um, I, I, I kind of was one of those weird people that liked both baseball teams. Okay. Um, my mom was a New York Giants fan growing up, but she grew up three blocks away from Yankee Stadium. Um, but her dad was a New York Giants fan. But she was always raised that, like, if the Giants weren't playing, you, you, you rooted for the, the local team. Um, now it got very hard to root for for the Yankees. You know, the old line back then, it's like it was like rooting for General Motors. You know, like the Yankees won every year. So, you know, I don't think she ever could. You know, I, I'm sure she voted. She would root for the Brooklyn Dodgers if they made it to the World Series and the Giants didn't. Although that wasn't particularly easy. So, you know, when I was a kid, they never played each other. Um, and so, the first time I really was consciously aware of being a baseball fan was when the Yankees won in 77 and 78. I was like six and seven years old. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the Reggie Jackson, Ron yeah. Guidry, uh, Chris Chambliss was my favorite player. I was a first baseman when I played. And, uh, so I started there and then like, it was really Daryl strawberry getting called up. And I like to bring that up cause I didn't, I wasn't just a bandwagon fan cause his rookie year, the Mets were still terrible, yeah. but I'd never seen, I mean, he was as close to Reggie Jackson just in terms of you stop what you're doing and watching him. And, you know, there's something exciting when you see a guy come up as a rookie, you know, and you can feel like, oh, I get to follow this guy his whole career. Now, we didn't know at the time that, you know, things were going to kind of go sideways for both him and, and, and Gooden because of all the drug issues. But um, but it was an exciting time. So I I kind of. I kind of went back and forth, rooted for both of them. It wasn't until interleague play that they ever played each other anyway. So how did you wind up going into writing um, and covering sports specifically? Uh, when I went to college, I thought like I wanted to do something, you know, broadcasting or writing. And I did a little radio, the TV station at my, um, at my school back then. It wasn't very good. So I didn't really do TV. And uh, so I, it was radio and the newspaper. We had a really good daily newspaper. And uh, I just kind of ended up getting hooked into there. I ended up being the sports editor there. Uh, so that kind of sort of headed me down that path. And those were the jobs that I, I found out of college initially. I bounced around a bunch, um, you know, find, trying to find, find work and uh, did a you know, couple of different things. And then before MLB.com, I landed at the New York Post. And I was there for almost four years. Uh, kind of on the bottom rung, I was an agate clerk. And uh, if, you know, if people don't know what that is, that's like the, the box score pages, you know? So I would we would format those and put those pages together. <laughs> Does that but, have anything to do with the mineral, agate? Ag no, agate means little type. And this is right. Um, oh, they were okay. putting like little type, type. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I was. I'm not that old, so we did have computers. We did have. Com we did have computers. Yeah, we'd have to crank the side of it to, to get them going. But um, the pedaling got really tiring. But, oh, that's so funny. I did that, but but it got us out. Like, and we were, you know, we were able to get out and write uh, occasionally. And, uh, and I tried to find avenues to to write things. And I was lucky enough that someone in major league baseball sort of saw my stuff and eventually it filtered down to me landing the job at MLB.com. Fantastic. And things have grown and progressed so much. You mentioned yeah. the Arizona fall yep. league and now we can watch it on, on streaming media. We can watch the games live. Right. And back when you were watching it, it was called the autumn league, right? It was very, it was like, <laughs> that was the bad joke. The autumn league. Come on back. Now it's the fall league. Come on. 
You guys, come on. So I, don't, I don't understand. It's fall, fall is more modern. Is that where you're going for yeah. that? I, I guess sure. Autumn is a more old-timey term. Right. Yes, I guess so. Um, um, yeah, no, it's new. And it's funny because, you know, I ended up down this path of writing. And then, you know, somewhere someone was foolish enough to think I could be on TV. And now I get to do some TV along with the, with the writing thing. So I've actually been able to kind of do a little bit of everything across a bunch of different uh, – uh, medium. But yeah, it's been amazing to to see the advancements that have been made, not only in terms of you know, the technology, but just the the proliferation of coverage of, of prospects. You know, yeah. you used to be able to count on one hand uh, guys who would cover. Uh, I shouldn't say guys. You know, men and women who cover uh, who cover prospects. And now there's a lot, and and I'm all for that. You know, the, to me, the more the more the merrier. There's room for everybody. Fantastic. Okay, so we have a couple questions here about like player evaluation in general. So, sure. in a in a in a nutshell, what are kind of the factors you use to evaluate the player? Does the 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 level at which they're drafted, the round that they go, factor into it? Does the amount of signing bonus that they get play into it, or do you kind of put all that aside and just look at what you see on the field? You know, so. I'm going to answer the last part of that first because it's something that comes up a lot. And I think there are different ways to do what I do uh, and what Jim Callis does and, you know, what Keith Law does. And some people go out and they evaluate players and what they write is based on what they see. I am not and have never been one of those people. I'm a reporter. Um, and there are people on Twitter that get pissed off when I say this because – I don't know. I can't go see 900 players or the 200 players for the draft. You know, one of the things is like people forget we do the minor league stuff and then we, you know, Jim and I shift gears and have to do draft right away. So do I see a player in the fall league or spring training or at a draft showcase? And does that impact how I write them up or where we put them? Sure it does. I mean, I've been around this long enough that I know what I see, but, what I do first and foremost is collect information from the people whose job it is to evaluate these players. And those are, are the scouts um, and scouting executives and scouting directors, you know, uh, player development people. So we have a vast network of, of people we talk to on a regular basis. And I mean, I can tell you very quickly for the top 100, there's three of us. There's myself, Jim Callis and, and Mike Rosenbaum, who's our, are the, the the third member of the the three amigos and um we will put together our own personal top 100 and then we'll put them together the the, the beauty of of microsoft excel and average it out and then we'll sort of say all right you know we were we, maybe we missed on the guy or we forget a guy we'll tweak the list and then we'll send it out to as many scouts as we know for feedback okay. and then we'll tweak the list accordingly uh, and then the write-ups come from conversations that we have from within, um, you know, within and without organizations. So when you see a team top 30, invariably, we've talked to multiple people within an organization. And then we'll get feedback, um, especially on the order, from people outside of the organization. Uh, because obviously, you know, a farm director for any organization may be extremely objective, but yeah. all they see are their own players. Right. Right. So there's a certain bias inherent in what they do. So we try to offset that and find some balance by talking to pro scouting directors from other teams who help out with 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 the order. And that, you know, that's in, in a nutshell how uh, we, you know, 
we do what what we do. And even among the three of us, we may bring a little more to the table in terms of like, well, I saw this guy do this, you know, and they, and and that will figure in more than anything. But I, I've never once thought I could see players enough, you know, even if I'm in the fall league for two weeks out of, yeah, out of the league, it's not like I'm getting a close enough look, especially with the other things we have to do work-wise. Right, right. But I'm not, I'm not sitting there with the radar gone. I'm not sitting there looking at a guy's delivery or what, his hands at the plate, anything like that. I, I, you know, I just, uh, I, I am, I am not able to do that. And so, and nor have I ever pretended to. So you mentioned the discussions with farm directors and scouts and stuff. Do, mm-hmm. do you ever have one team asking you what they've heard from other teams about somebody? Or is that something that's kind of a, 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 a no, 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 of course yeah, we do. Um, you know, and I think, especially the longer we've been doing this and, you know, Jim Callis and I combined have 437 years of experience. <laughs> wow. Jim Callis must like be really Yoda, old. Well, you guys are well, like the Yoda's of the prospects, right? Well, Jim, well, to be fair, Jim's got about 420 of those. Years, so, um, uh, no, uh, but we've been doing this a long time and, you know, uh, I, I take it as a, as a sort of as a, as a badge of courage uh, of, of, you know, that we've been doing this well, that people will come and ask us, Hey, what are you hearing about this guy? Um, you, you, know, you know, draft time, you know, especially as like, where do you think this guy is going to go? Because people know that we have a lot of sources yeah. and people might be more willing to tell us than they might tell the team drafting right behind them. Um, there's a lot of gamesmanship, which is why we talk to as many people as possible, because not everyone is going to be completely forthcoming. Right. But yeah, like if a guy... Um, I'll give you a, I'll give you a for instance. So the Pirates just traded Starling Marte, and they got two uh, very good but far away prospects in the trade. And um, I was talking to a third team about their top thirty list, and it was a guy who does. It's one of those rare instances which I love, where he pays attention both to his own system, but also does a lot of pro scouting, amateur scouting. So he can compare, right? So when I talk to him about his team's list, it's about as fair as it's going to get. And he admits, it's like, I have own bias. I love my own guys. It's going to happen. But he told me, he's like, anytime there's a trade, uh, he calls up his pro scouts and things like that. So what do you think of this trade? Right. And so we had a great conversation about this trade. And that was about as impartial as as a look, which, in the end made me think that the pirates actually did really well in the trade because this guy and his guys in that organization love Pagera, the shortstop that they got. Okay. Brendan Malone, we both like we knew because he was just the previous rep, but that was an instance where that came kind of unsolicited, but just because there was a certain amount of trust. Um, and, and we get a good amount of feedback uh, about our lists in general and, and what people think of them uh, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit and rest on, on my laurels, you know, because the second I do that, it's time for me to find something else to do. But it, it motivates me to continue to make that extra phone call, uh, be a little as thorough as we are every year to make sure it, it's it's imperfect. You know, the people that get all hot and bothered about it always make me laugh. I'm like, this is not scientific in any way, shape or form. It's all subjective. No matter how thorough you are. It's all subjective. Well, and that's that's a good point where um, 
we see it on you know we see it on on Twitter. We see the trade. We're like, oh, that guy's an A ball. Yeah, he's got a ninety nine mile hour fastball, but he just you know he just got out of the Midwest League. I mean, that's not a really good trade because Marte has all this upside and you know, major league experience. But you know, it's the sausage. It's those that you guys that know. Yeah, he's great great makeup, healthy all the time. Well, yeah. yeah. If you're looking at Carlos Peguero and you see Gene Segura out there, yeah, then you you're going to evaluate yeah. him at a certain point. So that right. So that kind of brings along the lines of, of Luis Camposano. Um, his name has been mentioned a ton in the <clears throat> Mookie Betts trade. Um, and I know we... <laughs> wow, are you guys okay? Yeah, well... You don't, well, no, you don't want Mookie Betts? I would, well, I would love Mookie Betts. I don't know about the price. And if it's going to include Luis Patino, I'm out. Yeah. And also, wow. and also, it just makes more sense that uh, that it goes to the Dodgers. They're not going to take Myers' money. They're not going to, you know, we're not going to eat all of Myers' money and Mookie Betts' money. But back to Luis Camposano. But back to yeah, back to Luis Camposano. Like that kid, we watched. I watched a lot of him this year, and as good as he was, I saw a tons of at bats where he he could get better, and and so having him at fifty. Uh, it's a little bit low for me, I, I, I think. And I, I'm a little biased because I did watch him. You know, he's our prospect, if you want to call it that. But um, if he just gets a little bit more disciplined, like that kid can hit extremely good pitching. Well, so then to get higher than 50, he needs to show that he can do that at double A, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times that's you know, what, what we're waiting for. Um, I, I, you know, we're obviously very high on him. Otherwise, he wouldn't be 50. And there's also like a, an understanding that learning how to catch is a, is a, a an animal that um, you know people don't totally. I, I think they don't always appreciate uh, that it can you know that that can hold you back a little bit, and it hasn't. You know, uh, you know the California League is a great place to hit, and he hit there, and you know so far so good. Uh, I think if he keeps hitting like that while improving his overall defense, then he is going to, he, he's going to shoot up. I, I think he's one of those guys that I would circle as a guy who could take a, a very nice jump forward. If he uh, continues to do what he did while improving his overall receiving, um, uh, you know, as he moves up, I was upset. Like I didn't get, you know, I was looking forward to seeing him in the fall league yeah. and not that that would have made that, you know, again, the fall league, because that's always a really good place to hit. Um, is a uh, it, you, we take it all with a grain of salt, but I would have liked to have been able to see him. Uh, I got to talk to him, um, and I got a good sense of him that way. But I didn't, I didn't get to see him play. And I wish I, I wish I had been able to because that is one of our rare instances where not only do you get to see a guy play, but it's not like the futures game where you see two at bats against a guy throwing 103. Right, you know, it's right. good competition. It's multiple times you get to see him. So it would have been, uh, it would have been cool to get to see him, but. Um, I mean, fifty is nothing to sneeze at here. I mean, let's uh, let's not get greedy. It's well, and not... he's he's twenty years old as a catcher, and yeah. usually catchers yep. develop a little bit later on. That's fair, absolutely. Real quick though, how much does makeup do you guys put in with 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 this list? Teachability, kind of attitude, or does it just pure tools? No, it, it, that figures in because if there if there's if there are glare, especially if there are glaring signs that that makeup is going to get in the way of those tools turning into performance, that is going to, you know, that is going to have uh, an impact. I'll, um, I'm working on the A's top 30 right now and Jorge Mateo, uh, and you remember really speedy guy, 
was with the Yankees, came over in the Sonny Gray Drake, is a, is a really good example because he's like, depending on when you see him, he's maybe, you know, one looks like one of the most exciting prospects out there. And then some of the time he just doesn't look like he cares. Um, there's nothing like he, he's not going in and robbing liquor stores, you know, and right. things like that. It's not that kind of bad makeup, but there comes a time question. Like last year, he had, he had a great year last year overall, but, uh, saw guys on his team in AAA get called up to the big leagues, and he didn't, and he went into the tank. So that figures into where he's going to go on a list because pure tools-wise, he's a top 100 guy. But notice he's not been on the top 100 for quite some time because of that, the, the fairly substantial question marks about the, the work ethic and the willingness to, to show up every day. You know, weren't we hearing some kind of thing? I, I don't know how, how similar to that, but uh, Profar, when Jerks and Profar was held down in AAA a couple years ago, um, and there really wasn't anywhere for him to play on the major league roster, and there were there were a bunch of rumblings that he was really unhappy with the with the Rangers. Uh, anyway, that just brought that to mind. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and things like that can happen. And listen, sometimes you have to say, listen, these are young men, right? And Pro- Profar, I think at that point was probably only about twenty one. Right. He moves really, really quickly. Yeah. And the funny thing is that his, his, he actually has really good makeup. And he, you know, uh, overall, like, I think you are willing to say, all right, you know what? I understand it. But now get back to work. And I think Profar generally did that. Mateo has done that, uh, those sorts of things several times. It happens once. I'm willing to say, listen, you, you have to remind yourself that, like, they're really young. It's just like, um, oh God, I can't remember who, who I, w- I was talking to someone about i'm working on so many lists now that the right. players start to to blur together and there's only so many times we can talk you know about pitchability and tools and things like that but you know it was one of those things where it's like yo keep in mind that this player would be going into his junior year of college right now yeah if he hadn't right. signed yeah or if he wasn't a 16 year old from the dominican you know so like all those things like it doesn't mean that you don't evaluate them evenly but Sometimes you have to remind yourself of that, that like just because they had that kind of um, what seems like a, a negative emotional response to something like, I don't know, when I was 19, I was an idiot. Right. You know, like so, <laughs> to suddenly expect these guys to like be 100 percent on the ball all the time. Right. Which, by the way, they are more often than not. I, yeah. I think that gets lost sometimes in the conversation. Well, we bring that up a lot. We preach patience and we go back to that all the time that when we were 19, 20 years old, we were a couple of knuckleheads. Absolutely. We actually talked um, a little you, bit. You guys are still knuckleheads. Let's thank thank you. Thank you very much. I take that in you, pride. You've listened to the podcast. And that's now we know that now. <laughs> um, we were talking about that before we came on was was that. You know, someone like Luis Patino and um, the pitching coach uh, Zamora, Pete Zamora said he's like a baby rattlesnake. Like he has all this venom, but when he bites, he just bites everything all, you know, he just shoots all his venom at once. So when he does maybe lose control uh, with a fastball, he try, you know, you try harder and you try to do better. If he gets hit really hard, what went at bat, you know, he tries harder instead of just trusting that instinct, trusting your stuff and letting it play. Um, that's some of the, the emotional the, maturity. maturity yeah. yeah. The maturity you love yeah. the happiness, the happy go lucky, uh, kind of high tempo kind of attitude and personality. But when it comes to the mound, that will kind of seep in a little bit with, I'm not doing the, you know, it's, it's losing focus, I think. But then you see Mackenzie Gore, who's about the same age, and all that stuff just rolls right off his back like it's water off a duck's back. 
Well, listen, I mean, it's just like you see, you know, kids in college or high school who are like, wow, that guy, that kid's really mature for his age. And yeah. this kid isn't as much. It just so happens that when they're both armed with mid to upper 90s fastballs, suddenly they have to be the same person. It's just, yeah. you know, I mean, Patino's 20. I yeah. mean, let, let's, right. And is he going to play? Is he going to play all year at 20? Yeah. He's going to yeah. play all year at, at 20. So, like, you know, it's okay. It's pump yeah. the brakes a little bit. And have you had a that. chance to watch him in person? Have you had a chance to talk to him at all? Uh, I have not talked to him. Um, he was at the rookie program, but uh, I didn't. I didn't talk to him. I think our David, then uh, one of our Spanish language uh, site guys, talked to him. Um, I saw him in the futures game. Um, yeah. He was pretty good. He was pretty good then. Yeah. I don't person, know if you guys saw that. From a personality standpoint, he's just off the charts. He's one of these guys yeah. that you talk to him I've for heard. five minutes and it's just you just want to yeah. wrap your arms around the kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, so we want to get you moving here. I know you got a lot to do. So Don, Donovan put together a little lightning round a for you. A little lightning round, but first, before we go into yeah. it, I want to put this in your head. Desert Island album. So think about that, and then we'll go into the lightning round. What? <laughs> I'm so confused. Okay. Okay, Desert Island album. Okay. Put that in your head. Start thinking about it. But first, you have two picks to start a ball club. Pitcher and a position player. Who are they? From the Padres organization. From the Padres organization. Prospects. Yeah, off the 40-man roster. Yeah, prospects. Wait, anybody on the 40-man roster? Off. Off the 40-man roster. No 40-man roster. Oh, Oh. position player and... I'm, I'm I'm stalling because I need to call up their list. Yeah, always pulling up the database. You, um, yeah. In full disclosure, full disclosure, I don't do the Padres top thirty, so I do. So I mean, I could go easy, right, and pick Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams. Right. Well, and you know, and Golden. You know what? But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm gonna pick Luis Camposano because you need a catcher. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna go Gore and Camposano. Okay. All right. That's a good duo. Absolutely. You got your battery right there. If, I mean, you can't go wrong in this system. So okay. you know what? If they're good enough, you don't even need the other seven guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If baseball didn't exist, you would be a uh, politician. Oh wow! Oh, interesting. Um, Senator I, Mayo from Senator Phil- Mayo. from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, for the great state of Pennsylvania, I don't know. Uh, if you had to listen to one Commonwealth, album, Commonwealth, no, the Commonwealth. Pennsylvania. Oh, that's right. Um, if you had knuckleheads, remember, remember that. If you had to listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, is that the Desert Album? Is that that's what you were trying yeah, to play in your head? Uh, the Stranger by Billy Joel. Oh, uh, I don't know if I've listened to that one front to back. I'm going to have to look that up now. My wife, just checked, my wife just checked out. She hey, I like old guy. music. She's from Long Island. She hates that guy. Okay. Um, what? I, believe me, she hates Jeter. Is that old... even a like I'm from New Jersey. I could never say out bon Jovi? I don't like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I okay. do like Bruce Springsteen, by the way. I just you know, I was saying as an example. Please continue. Okay. So I saw this earlier on Twitter before I got here about the empanadas. So is empanadas or calzone? Your choice. Why do I have to pick one? They're the same thing from different cultures. They're both kind of a form of ravioli, right? Yeah. Okay. Is a pop tart just... type, type of calzone? Um. You know what? I like them both very, very much. I don't eat meat, so I'm limited to which kinds I could have. So I might, I might pick the calzone just because I like the sort of spinach cheese combination in the calzone. But man, I do like a good 
I mean, empana- I mean, there, I think every culture food wise has something similar with bread and meat in it, our bread and veggies or, or bread and whatever. And it's right. enclosed. And in this case, fried. I mean, I think, you know, like it's, it's in the dumpling family. Dumpling really. Family. One time I traveled to Ecuador and riding a bus from one city to another in a Latin American country is a whole different experience. When you stop in a town, all of these people get on the bus and they're selling everything you can imagine. But the empanadas that they sell out of those little baskets for 25 cents a piece. Oh my God. They're so so good. Yep. Okay. Moving on. Aisle seat or window. How long is the flight from here to, from here to, from San Diego to Pittsburgh? (laughs) <laughs> well, so that shows where, you know, there are no direct flights from San Diego to Pittsburgh. Um, Knucklehead podcast. Yeah. Um, when, uh, you know, I've always been a window guy because I like to lean. As I get older and need to go to the bathroom more, yeah. that's not been as good an option. I, You know, I can relate. It's okay. I can definitely relate to that. I'm just being really honest with everybody here. We appreciate right. that. Well, we appreciate the honesty and the candor. Uh, friends or the office? Friends. Waffle House or Huddle House? Regional. I don't know. I don't know what Huddle House is. So See, Waffle this is House. what I was telling Waffle you last House, week. Okay. okay, so I when he asked somebody this a week ago, I I was like, okay, I've been to Waffle House. What is Huddle House? And yeah, then, I don't know where. What is Huddle House? Well, it's in and Tennessee. Then I spent and we asked the, Ryan Weathers. I spent the last week in Tupelo, Mississippi, on a job trip, and I drove past a couple of Huddle House locations, and I'm convinced that it's just a knockoff Waffle House. Like a Waffle House went out of business, and they didn't want to tear the sign down. They just had to come up with a different name that had the same number of letters with the least number of replaced letters, and they came up with Huddle House. You leave <laughs> the you L-E in the house, and it's still the but, same. But what? But you didn't go to see so you could answer his question? Yeah. I, you know, I, I guess I need to find out, because I believe they were like on the same block, like across the street from each other almost. So I they, have like, they have like rumbles in the parking lot. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like Pat's and Geno's. And then you find out that it's not even like top 10 cheesesteak in the town. <laughs> I know that's the wrong that's the wrong commonwealth of of Pennsylvania. No, I, went to, I went to co- I went to college in Philly. I know my cheesesteak and that was when I used to eat meat, so I know. Are you vegetarian by uh by by choice by by diet or is it just <laughs> but I'm, um, I'm being I'm being forced. Someone is extorting me, making me be a vegetarian. Uh, you're married. No. <laughs> uh no 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 no, not at all. Uh I am married, but uh no, in fact my wife eats meat and I don't. It's by choice. I eat fish. Oh, fantastic. I'm a pescatarian. Yes. I'm in food service, so any food allergies I need to know about? No. Okay. Well, Jonathan Mayo, we really appreciate you. Are you what, sending are me you food? Are you going to put together a care package yeah. forever? Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> I'm in now, food service. Like, I'm, I'm a manager. I need to know these things. You're going to get okay. see each other on somewhere. You're going to get a yellowtail tuna empanada in the mail. <laughs> if we're ever on the same flight, I'll go like, okay, you get the window. To, well, I'll give you the aisle because, you know, well, we'd fight. Right. we're the same age, so we'd probably have to argue for whoever got the window <laughs> and then apologize. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time, man, and uh, coming on this Knucklehead podcast. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to James Clark is who, uh, who, uh, really introduced me into podcasting here for, for the Padres prospects. And I know you guys just talked to James Hartsfeld and, yep. and James and, uh, those guys do a really good work over there. And I, I listened to the podcast, but I listened at the gym, so I didn't take any notes. Um, but I really appreciate you kind of expanding all this stuff and giving the time and now go finish your, uh, Oakland A's top 30. Um, that's what I'm got in front of me right now until the next team it's uh, kind of a crunch time right now so where's lazar lazaro armenteros gonna fall oh he's fallen he can't hit really 
Dude, he the dude struck out like 220 times last year. <laughs> I How know. do you do that in the minor league? <laughs> 300 at bats. No. <laughs> no, I was just looking back, like Kevin Maiton. I was looking at the 2016 class for the Padres, and the Padres had like like six of the top nine guys on everybody's list. But number one was Kevin Maiton that got signed by the Angels for however many tens of millions of dollars and has fallen flat on his face. Right. He was one of the guys that got signed by the Braves first and then got let go. He was made a free agent because of their uh, oh yeah that, that scandal, and then got re-signed by the Angels. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he's not been uh, as good as advertised. But yeah, the Lazarito is. There's a question about whether or not he's going to hit. The tools are really loud, you know, but you, you, you do actually have to make contact with the baseball on occasion. I remember them saying something about Baby Babe Ruth when he was when they who's, who's going to sign him. <laughs> it's like uh, right, no, sure, far away no. from that. Has, not 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 so far now. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, John. Sure. My pleasure, guys. It's a lot of fun.